Good morning, church family. When I was uh, growing up uh, in small churches, one of the things that would happen from time to time is that either a lot of times after a Sunday night service or maybe beforehand, maybe in between the sacred hour of Sunday school and worship, I would see believers just end up around the piano, just worshiping. If you're a guest of ours this morning, I'm going to welcome you officially in just a few minutes, but you've walked into a completely different worship hour than we normally do. And I believe you've walked into a blessing. Worship is for everybody. And over the next hour, I'm going to invite you to worship with great passion, sincerity. The basis of worship is God is gracious. He's loving, he's kind, he's caring. We, we don't worship a distant God. We don't worship a God who is only full of wrath and justice. We worship a God who has drawn us as a people to himself, who has made a way for us to know him. And so there are those songs that become soundtracks to your life. You have those songs. You'll be driving down the road, a song will come on, and it will immediately take you to a memory. What if you hear a love song that you played at your wedding reception? Or you think about a song that characterized your vacations, or a, a song that came out that was very popular during a specific time in your life, your senior year of high school, or while you were in college, or maybe a song you and your child sang together, and now that child is an adult. We all, they say, have a soundtrack to our life. Christians have those songs, those songs that make it through the ages, those songs that seem to burn deep into the footprint of who we are as a people and individually into the fingerprints of who we are as Christians. And of course, there's a lot of ways we could describe God's grace. We could say God's grace is great and it's endless. It's unmerited, meaning it's unconditional. We don't deserve it. It's rich, it's inexhaustible, it's immeasurable. But perhaps, no, not even perhaps, for sure. The greatest way that it's ever been described in song goes something like this, and I, I hope you'll sing with me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me I once was lost But now I'm found Was blind But now I see Would you stand and sing? My chains are gone I've been saved Change. 
Man, you sound great. You can be seated. Well, good morning. It's great to see you in the house of the Lord. Welcome to our 11 o'clock service. Welcome to those of you who are worshiping online as well. If you are a guest of ours, we would love a record of your attendance. There's a Connect card uh, in the seat back. It looks like the one on the screen. It's also available at churchofthemill.com, and it's also available on our Church of the Mill app, which is a free download at your app store. A lot's happening in the life of our church. Today is round two of Group Link. If you don't know what that is, that's just our effort to help you as adults find a small group. Student small groups and children's small groups are already rocking and rolling, especially, of course, during that 9 o'clock hour previous to this hour. But adult small groups crank up next week for the first time in a long time. We preached and emphasized that last week. But if you missed that, and you want to be in a small group, which I really hope you do. It would make me very happy and encouraged if you would be a part of a small group. It's our way of fighting hard against the idea that in a larger church, a fast-growing church, you become a face in the crowd. We don't want that. And so when you exit the service in a few moments, if you would turn left in the concourse, which I'm pointing in the direction it is, it's over your right shoulder, there are some folks there at bistro tables ready to talk with you, no pressure, talk with you about the small groups that we have to offer, about the ones that are filling up and the new ones that we're launching. And mom and dad and adults of all ages, our groups literally meet every day of the week and there are all kinds of formats. So there is a small group for you. Of course, in addition to that, we recognize it's a holiday weekend. Many of us obviously are tuning in online. They're on the road. And we also recognize that half the congregation is in mourning today, we, we understand that, we're, we're with you on that, but, but I, I am equally excited, I'm equally excited about what you walked into this morning. We stripped everything off the stage. Behind me are four 
incredible people who lead us into worship each and every week and one piano. We began designing this service months ago because we are grateful for what we have. You're setting in, due to your own faithfulness, a state-of-the-art facility. No expense has been spared on sound and lighting and technical capability. We're grateful for that. We're grateful for the dozens and dozens of people who make up that weekly worship choir and those gifted men and women inside of our band. We're thankful for their leadership and their service. But there are times as a church, especially when you're trying to emphasize something significant in the life of our church, that we need to pull everything away and we need to be reminded of what we are to do and reminded of who we are. I've been in a sermon series called This Is Us. And we've been asking the question, if we were a casserole, what would our ingredients be? What makes us us. There are four key ingredients to thinking about us as a church family doing life on a weekly basis. What makes us us is Christ-centered exposition. We believe in every word of God's word, and we believe that the most faithful way to understand God's will for our life is to preach God's word systematically, verse by verse, book by book, milking it of all the nutrients God has for us we also believe in intentional relationships, which is exactly why I mentioned again that opportunity for you to be in a small group. Likewise, next week we're going to stress how we as a church have driven a stake in the ground and said we are going to be known by loving and leading the next generation. We have to make children and students a priority so that when they leave us and launch into adulthood, they have not participated in a cultural version of Christianity or just affirmed the religion of their parents. We want them to know and love and follow the Lord Jesus. I say this to my children all the time, whether we're talking casually or we're talking more seriously. More than anything, all jokes aside, I want my children to grow up and be in love with Jesus. If they love him, and want to honor him, then everything else will take care of itself. And so we as a church are going to spend dollars, time, and energy in impacting the next generation. That's next week. This week, though, we're going to talk about worship. Scratch that. We're going to worship. And while we worship, we're going to learn about worship. Jesus was in a conversation with the woman uh, who came to the well as a Samaritan. And in that conversation, worship came up. It's in John chapter 4. You don't have to turn there. And Jesus said, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. More than any other group of people on the planet, because of what Jesus said in that statement, our worship should look different. We're not the only people who worship. In fact, many have observed that all human beings being designed by a creator God are designed to worship, and they will eventually worship something. But when we worship the one true God, there should be a distinctiveness and a purity and a passion to it because of what Jesus said. Jesus, when he says the hour is coming, is referring to his work on the cross, his death, and his resurrection. And upon Jesus' death and resurrection, for the first time, the covenant of Mount Sinai that God gave Moses was overcome by the covenant of Calvary that God gave through Jesus, which means the people who were under the law are now under 
grace, which means that I, for the first time since Christ, I can be right with God when I worship. I can worship the Lord with nothing between me and him, not because I'm sinless or perfect, but because the blood of Christ has cleansed me of sin. And the Spirit of God lives in every woman in this room who has trusted Jesus. The Holy Spirit of God lives in every man in this room who has trusted Christ. And therefore, what Jesus said to the woman at the well is true this morning for the redeemed in this room. I can't judge each of you individually, nor do I believe in sinful judgment. But even if I were to try to look with righteous eyes, I can't know what's going on in your heart. I can judge the fruit of your life, but only you can determine and only you can clarify your relationship with Christ. Many of you have one. I see it in the fruit of your life, in the testimony of your lips. If you're here and you have a relationship with Jesus, your worship should look like you do. Your worship should be different because of the truth of Calvary and the Spirit of God that was allowed into your life because the blood of the Son of God took away the sin of your heart, creating a way for you to be right with him. So this is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to worship. There's freedom if you want to stand when we stand, if you want to sit, if you want to kneel, if you want to come to the altar. The entire hour, there's freedom. There's order, but there's freedom. Sometimes you may want to be reflecting on what God has done. A tear may fall on your cheek. You may sit there holding your Bible, contemplating his word. Other times you may want to put your hand around a loved one or hold someone close to you that's hurting and pray for them. There may be other times where you stand and you lift up holy hands and you worship the Lord. We want you to let us lead you, but you don't have to mirror everything we do. You worship before the Lord. And when we leave here in about one hour, we're going to realize how much we needed this. How important it is for such a time as this for us as a people to worship Jesus for who he is. I'm going to pray, and after I pray, I want you to hear from one couple that really, to me, epitomize what Church the Meal is all about. And then we're going to get our worship on. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and the opportunity to gather in this place, to strip everything away, and to focus on worship. It is the best of times and the worst of times. I encountered families this morning who were excited and joyful about the beginning of fall. They enjoyed time with friends and loved ones yesterday, perhaps around a ball game. They look forward to some time off tomorrow. They're healthy, whole, and happy. And then I know people in this very room who have a loved one on a ventilator. And it really is both, Lord. I have people in my life that are doing great, and I have people in my life that are suffering greatly. And I know and I confess before this precious people in both of those places, I need to worship. When I have been blessed, my worship reminds me to focus on the blesser more than the blessing. 
to not become consumed with the temporary happiness of good feelings and great times, but to be reminded of the greatness of God and to make sure that is the reason I worship. And when I am hurting and suffering, fearful and anxious, I worship because it reminds me that though I am completely out of control of the world around me, I know the one who made the world, who holds it on its axis, who rotates it in perfect timing. And every single molecule in this room is held where it is because of who you are. So, Lord, I pray for freedom today, that you would dwell in this place and that we would worship in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen to this testimony. When we moved here um, about 19, 20 years ago, I stopped in a beauty shop talked to a lady there. I told her we were looking for a church home and she invited us to come to the mill. We visited probably 20 churches easily. There was no total package, so to speak. The people were so loving and so accommodating and welcoming and it just felt like home. Worship starts in the concourse. Yes, worship. we worship on Sunday morning for an hour and a half, two hours, but we should, be, we should be equipped when we leave the church to worship seven days a week. The church should provide you uh, fuel on Sunday morning to worship every day. The lyrics mean the most to me, uh, that they're scriptural. I can pick up the book of Psalms and see practically every song that we sing here, and that just does so much for me. There is freedom. I, I think there's freedom without judgment. There are people in the, in the sanctuary who want to raise their hands, and that's people like me who are, who are more reserved. And nobody, nobody judged me for being reserved. And I like the freedom to be able to worship as I worship. If I'm going to worship God, I have to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And that's God's Word. I, I can't be half-hearted about it. I can't be hypocritical about it. Uh, I, I've, I've got to be real. I've got to be sincere. Heart of worship. 
today to worship you in your holiness, in your greatness, in your justice, in your, your righteousness. But God, we come today thankful that we can rest in your hope, in the hope that you give us because you are not unfamiliar with what we go through because you put on flesh and came to this earth and walked in our footsteps you conquered sin in the grave and because of that we can have hope in you Lord it's hope for the hopeless rest for the weary help for the hurting yes. 
Take your seat and find Psalm 92. This morning as we explore and enjoy and experience worship, I chose the first eight verses of the 92nd Psalm not because it is the supreme example of worship in the Scripture. There are many. In fact, my God loves to hear his children sing. That's why he devoted a whole book to it called the Psalms. But in Psalm 92, there are some truths that I think are important for you and me as a church family. Every church that gathered for worship today, quite frankly, in our world, devoted at least some portion of their worship service to singing. It's because God's people have always been singers. Not that we all sing well, but we all are called, of course, as the scripture says, to make a joyful noise before the Lord. We've got something worth singing about. And the scripture says in Psalm 92, the psalmist says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. Verse 5, how great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. 
The stupid man, I didn't know I was in this passage until I started studying it this week. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever, but you, and we'll end with this verse, O Lord, are on high forever. When you come in to our worship service each and every week, it's important to remember some things about our worship, specifically the worship that we sing, that we praise, that we declare. In fact, taking our cues from the text, I want to teach you three important truths to remember. I'll give you the first one, and then we'll worship some more. It's important for us to remember the goodness of our worship. The word good is used all the time in our vocabulary. Good game last night. That was a good vacation we went on. I'm married to a good woman, or some of you would say a good man. I think my kids most of the time are good, and I think I lie to myself the other times in a good way. I like that restaurant. It is good food. And all those are, pun intended, good ways to use the word. But the idea theologically of goodness is that something is inherently righteous, that it is something pleasing to the Lord. It's interesting to me that in the book of Psalms, we begin in verse 1 of Psalm 92 with those words, it is good to give thanks. It matters that we as a church prioritize spirit-filled worship, that we are a people known for our enthusiastic, authentic, sincere worship, and that we attempt to do it to the degree that we can in a spirit of humility and excellence. So it leads to the question, what, what, why is it good? The scripture doesn't say it's better than preaching. It's not better than giving to the poor. It's not better than praying. But why is it good to declare praises to the Lord? Well, look at the verbs in verses 1 and verse 2. If you have it up on your Bible app or if you have a printed copy as I prefer, it is good first to give thanks to the Lord. Second, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. And then third, beginning of verse 2, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. And to do these things, look at verse 3, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. So the idea being that people who are Jesus people, who follow the Lord, should in a good way make it a good habit to worship good. There's goodness in our worship. And if you think about those words, to give thanks, to sing praise, and to declare of his steadfast love, it's really about us responding to God's goodness. In other words, I don't say thank you typically before you do something for me. Once you do something, I say thank you. The idea of saying thank you or expressing gratitude is a reactionary move. I am overwhelmed with gratefulness that you would do something for me, and I say thank you for doing that. We are to be a thankful people. If he does nothing else, 
If he returns before this service is over, if the end of human history as we know it ends today, if he splits the eastern sky, descends upon Israel, comes down to Jerusalem where he will return bodily and in reality, it's not mystical, it is certainly spiritual, but the physical Lord Jesus returns just as he ascended. When he returns, if he ushers in everything that we've studied in Daniel and Revelation, if all that happened today, if nothing else is done for me past today on this side of his return, I still could never repay him for what he has done. In fact, the greatest need I ever had in my life, he took care of a couple of thousand years before I was born. And while there are many things in my life I would like to see the Lord do, and I'm praying for many people in our congregation today, and I still am overwhelmed by the works of his hands, he owes me nothing. And yet he gave me everything when he rendered his son lifeless at Calvary. If I can't be thankful for that, I need to check the validity of my salvation. If there's nothing in your heart that doesn't look upon your former life and recognize the weight of sin and look upon your current life, a life that's certainly not perfect, but recognizes the full encompassing grace and forgiveness of Jesus, and then directly because of that observation is not creating within you a heart of gratitude that bubbles up and bursts with thanks, you need to check your salvation. You have either grown lukewarm or you are misinformed. You're confused and you need to be saved. When people have a real relationship with Jesus, it expresses itself in many different ways. And being a follower of Jesus does not erase your own personality. Some of you are incredibly expressive. Others of you are not. Some of you are incredibly verbal. Others of you are not. Some of you are incredibly emotional and you're driven by passion and emotion. Others of you are very methodical and almost all of us are somewhere on a very broad spectrum. But below that, Dig deep with me below emotion. Dig deep with me below your current state of being. Down deep in your heart, there should be this overwhelming desire to look to heaven and say, it is good to give thanks to the Lord for what he's done. And then right after that, he says, and to sing his praises. The idea of putting verbally into song with the use of instruments and vocal cords is the idea of not only responding to the goodness of God, but repeating the goodness of God, repeating the words. That's why you remember the hymns you grew up on. That's why you're able to memorize your favorite songs. That's why many of the songs that you've already heard this morning and many that you will continue to hear immediately once the chord is played, once you hear the first line, you're reminded of it. It's why when you hear a new song, you find yourself learning it and thinking about it and singing it over and over again. It's why we have the curse of Vacation Bible School songs that we sing into September and October because we cannot get them out of our head. There is something powerful about the use of memory. Some of you learned your ABCs by singing them, and you use song and the rhythm of caring about words and carrying them in your mind through the gift of song. God knows this. He's our creator. And so the church repeats 
and we repeat and we get our pattern from heaven. Because you know what's happening in heaven right now? In heaven right now, the Zeraphim, these special agents of worship, are circling the throne and they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. John saw it and when he was invited into the throne room of heaven, in addition to the greatness of the glory of the risen Jesus ruling and reigning, he saw angels worshiping on high, constantly worshiping him because his glory and his reason to be worshiped never run out. So when the church battered and beaten or free and flourishing, when the church opens her doors, fills up her pews or her chairs, strikes a chord on the stage and sing, we are reflecting what is happening in heaven. We're saying this is not heaven, but for a moment, we're going to be like heaven on earth, getting ready for when earth is in heaven and it is new and we are with the Lord. So we repeat and then we remind. Notice the last verb in verse 2, declare his steadfast love. So we respond to his goodness, we repeat all of our praise, his greatness, and we remind each other of his graciousness. The idea of declaring God's steadfast love in music is removing the act of declaration from the preacher. A couple of weeks ago, I preached on preaching. I told you it was awkward to do because it's weird to get up and preach about what you do. But it is good for the church to set under the preaching of God's word. But worship is the invitation for every girl and every boy, every man and every woman to, for just a few moments, through the gift of song, to become a preacher. To declare to the world and those around you the steadfast love of God. The same reason why stadiums were filled with people screaming for their team yesterday. The reason why we don't let just the cheerleaders or just the student section dominate our cheers is because everyone in the stadium has a team they believe in and want to flourish is the reason why the church gathers and we remind one another. And just a word, a firm word, But a word given in grace, this is why you can't roll into church on two wheels halfway through the worship set and feel like you're okay as long as you get the word. That's incredibly selfish. When you rob God of his worship, when you don't make it a priority to be in your seat, ready to go, barring anything unforeseen for you to worship, You rob the Lord of the worship due his name. And you know what I can't do? I can preach to the guy next to you if you're late, but I cannot worship for you. I cannot worship for you. No one on this earth can worship the Lord the way you can because no one on this earth has seen him uniquely work in your life the way that you have. And when you and I worship, sometimes we are the very person used to strengthen the person who's watching to the left or to the right. Men, I've never shied away from challenging you. Some of our boys don't know how to worship because the only worshiper on Sunday is mama. You stand there like a statue looking at your watch, enjoying your coffee, hands on the seat in front of you, barely moving your lips. Not every man in this room is a shouter or a hand lifter or a clapper. 
I love to see a man get set free. It starts right here. How great is our God. And his ease is over. How great is our And then if some of you feel like somebody's watching, you just, you just transition. How great, how great is our God. But I saw men screaming and shouting on TV at every game I watched yesterday. Every man in this room is different, and every one of you has a different level of expressiveness. Only be you. I'm not asking you to manipulate yourself. I'm not asking you to create emotion that's not coming from your heart. I am telling you that if we want a generation of sons who know how to worship King Jesus, they better see their dad worship the Lord. And, of course, ladies, the same is true for you. And we do this because of his graciousness. We declare his steadfast love. You know why this means so much? I can't do anything about the Taliban. I, I don't know the answers to the current variant of COVID, and I won't know the answers to the next one. I have church members today struggling for their lives, and I have church members today running from Jesus 100 miles an hour. I cannot fix either. I have no guarantee that I'll get to stand here next week and preach to you. I hope I will, but God has not promised me one minute past the one I'm in. And when I begin to make a laundry list of all I can't control, it creates a tension in me because I want to do something. And yet the scripture says spiritual warfare starts with worship. We don't just go to worship. We go to war when we worship. Because when I stand in the presence of God, I am admitting my insufficiency, but I am focusing my attention on the one who will work in response of his people declaring his goodness and his greatness. That's how we fight our battles. That's why this can't be the 30 morning... 30-minute warm-up before pastor. That's why it's intentional when you're not sick and you're here for you to be here and to be ready to worship. That's why men and women who worship with all of their hearts have something left in the tank when they leave here ready to face tomorrow because they have rightly established God in the throne of their life which mirrors what is reality, God being the throne bearer over all creation. This is how we battle. War with me. Worship with me. This may be where you are even this morning. When all I see is the battle you see my victory perspective right when all I see is a mountain you see the mountain moved and as I walk through the shadows your love surrounds me There's nothing to fear now, for I am safe 
He fights for us, church. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. We're in his arms. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Thank you, Lord. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take, you take, you take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory for the bow your head across this room and thank the Lord that he's working on your behalf that he has not left you that he is there with you it may look like I'm surrounded but I'm surrounded by you I confess this to you, Lord. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Yeah, yeah. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. One more time, come on. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Cause this is how I fight my battles. On my knees, how I fight my battles. This is 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 how. In Second Chronicles, there is a word for God's people. It says, take your positions, then stand still yes. and watch the Lord's victory. Thank you, Lord. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem.
Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Church, the Lord is with you. Yes. Thank God. you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And all I did was pray. All I did was worship, and all I did was bow down, and all I did was stay still. You may be seated. Once we establish the need to remember the goodness of our worship, let me just guide you to verse 4 and ask you to remember the gladness of our worship. Verse 1, it is good to give thanks. Verse 4, for you, O oh Lord, have made me glad by your word. If we've established the act of worship, to repeat praise, to remind, to reinforce, to remember before each other, then verse 4 comes off of the act of worship and speaks to the attitude of worship. For you, O oh Lord, have made me glad by your word. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. So the four there is causative. I sing because I have joy trapped in me, and I'll be a madman if it doesn't come out. I sing for joy. He goes on to write in verse 5, How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. So even in his expressive joy of worship, he realizes there's a portion, a large portion of God's knowledge and wisdom that we don't know. But when I think about that combined with the truth of the goodness of what I do know, I want to worship him for what I don't know. Because if what I don't know about God is reflected in what I do know and what I don't know is immeasurable, then what I do know and what I don't know when added together creates joy and gladness. I don't serve a man that can be figured out. I'm not bowing at a statue that can be made my hands. I worship a God who has created the world. And because of his works in our lives, we are glad. We are joyful. If you invited someone in your life who does not know Christ to join you for church on Sunday, I would expect and hope they would say, well, your pastor knows the Bible. I would hope they would say, the people on stage sure are talented. They are. I would hope that they would say, the folks I checked my child into were nice even though sometimes my child is not. I hope they would say, the people who opened the door for me smiled at me. 
I hope they would say, wow, what a beautiful facility you've been given. I, there's a lot of things I would love for them to say. But after you leave them, once you have lunch with them and they go on their way and they're reflecting on their morning, would they say, you were joyful when you worshiped? Would they see the joy of Christ in you, not just in the people on this stage? Would they see the joy of Christ at the works of his hands in your life? That is a challenge, but it is also a conviction we absolutely can make come true. We need to remember that we worship with gladness. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so Oh, 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but the will of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, Christ, has made him known. You are the word of God. Sing it out, come on. Nothing compared. 
Oh. 
seat. I want to finish our morning by reading the last few verses. We've talked about the goodness of our worship and the gladness of our worship. Now I want to give you the grounds for our worship. See, I could tell you that you always worship because you always see God working. Some of you say, Pastor, I don't see him working in my life right now, or at least I don't perceive it. I could say, well, you worship because God's always answering your prayers just as you pray them. But that's not been my experience. There are many times when the Lord does not answer my prayers immediately or his answer does not match what I determine to be the resolution for the situation. Still, there are others who would say, well, you worship the Lord because of the way he makes you feel. Friend, can I just tell you, as your shepherd, there are times when I feel so close to the Lord. I certainly do this morning as I listen to your beautiful voices sing. But then there are times when I feel distant from Him, isolated, cold. Sometimes this is a result of my own sin or a situation I'm facing. You've been misled if you believe that worship is only about how you feel. And, and therein lies the truth of these last verses. And I'm going to read them and we're going to sing our way out of here. The psalmist says there are people who don't see. He uses the Hebrew word, and the best equivalent is stupid, but not stupid in the derogatory term. It's a term of someone who's ignorant. They, they don't know. They don't see. Stupid, the stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. What is it that the world is blinded to? Here it is. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all the evildoers flourish. Haven't you seen that? Haven't you seen wickedness be celebrated and evil be affirmed? I've seen that. I've prayed against COVID-19. I've prayed for leaders. I've prayed for men and women in service. I've prayed for people who are sick. I've prayed for folks who are confused and folks who are struggling and, and yet it seems as though the wickedness continues to add up. If you want to kill your worship, spend more time reading headlines than reading your Bible. I promise you, your worship will be vacuumed out of the core of your soul. But the man, the psalmist says, what they don't see is this. They, referring to wickedness and evil, are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O oh Lord, are on high forever. The grounds for our worship is not in what you may or may not see the Lord doing. It's in his identity and his eternity. He was God before you. He'll be God after you. Because of who he is, not what he does, he's worthy of our worship. And who he is will never come to an end because he is on high forever. So my worship takes a whole nother level of obedience when I'm able to worship in a storm he doesn't calm. When I'm able to worship in a body he doesn't heal. When I'm able to worship 
though I lost a marriage that couldn't be saved. I'm able to worship because a child I couldn't meet was miscarried in the womb of my wife or your own womb if you are a mother. I can worship because of who he is, not what I have or have not seen by the faith of believing that one day, because of who he is, what no eye has seen and what no ear has heard is the glory waiting on us. And so what do we pray this morning? Well, here's the invitation. There's some stuff between you and the Lord in your worship. Pour it out. Pour it out before him. You need God to move mightily in your life? Ask him to pour his presence out. To pour his spirit out in a fresh way. To bring it before the Lord. We're going to sing one more song. This altar's always open if you want to come and pray. There are prayer members of our prayer team that will meet you here. If you want to come and kneel by yourself, if you want to stand right where you are, if you want to sit right where you are, make the words that Josh and that all of us are about to sing your prayer, and then we'll be dismissed.
Heavenly Father, as we leave this place, we are eternally grateful that you are a good God who has given us reason to sing. I pray for a special measure of your grace to anoint our worship and that we would become more faithful, more hungry, more obedient, more sincere, as we come before you. Help us to worship. May the service end, but not the worship, as we walk out these doors. Dismiss us in your grace. And God's people said, amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.